0: Good morning, everyone. We are back in the incredible gospel of Mark. I'll be reading chapter 14, verses 1 through 11. It was now two days before the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and the chief priests and the scribes were seeking how to arrest him by stealth and kill him. For they said, Not during the feast, lest there be an uproar from the people." She has done a beautiful thing to me for you always have the poor with you and whenever you want, you can do good for them but you will not always have me. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for burial. And truly I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. Then Judas Iscariot, who was one of the 12, went to the chief priests in order to betray him to them. And when they heard it, They were glad and promised to give him money, and he sought an opportunity to betray him.
1: Thanks, Eric. Everybody has an opportunity to work on their tan today, huh? Holy smokes, I hope you guys brought some type of uh, lotion or something. Otherwise, we'll know who came just for the food trucks and who came for the message based on (laughs) the raccoon eyes that everybody's going to (laughs) have. Oh, excited to, uh, to be with you this morning for all of the reasons already stated. Um, it's amazing to be able to, uh, to gather in person and begin a new series, uh, within walking distance. Uh, today's talk is entitled evaluate within walking distance, evaluate, and, um, we're we're doing a return to the book of Mark and finishing it. Uh, we took a hiatus from the book of Mark. If you've been journeying with us um, over these last months, uh, then you know that we went to a summer series for Isaiah. So, if you've been with us for the entirety of the three years, just to let you know, we have preached through the entire book of Philippians, the entire book of First Corinthians, the entire book of Hebrews, First, Second, and Third John. Um, the first 12 chapters of Isaiah, and now we're completing the book of Mark. Uh, It's amazing. We really value biblical literacy here. We want to make sure that we engage the word of God, that we understand it. And so it's kind of cool to think that if nothing else, if you just merely attended and checked the box, you sat and listened to those, all those books be read to you (laughs) over the course of three years. So, um, God has been so incredibly faithful and continues to be. I can't wait to see what he does this year uh, in and through us all. And um, I really, really mean it when I say I can't believe that we get to do this. Um, you're going to see our series right up Um online, on our website, as well as in our devotionals. And so um, I'm not going to go too much in depth with an explanation of why it is that we chose within walking distance uh, for the series title. I'll simply mention that we as humans tend to complicate things. And the truth is what's available to you and also even what God is asking of you is actually Within walking distance. It's not as complicated as you think. It's within walking distance. In fact, the woman in today's text embodies this point. And uh, before I talk about her a little bit more, I want to share a story with you. Uh, The story takes place somewhere in the late 1980s. Uh, Best guesstimation is 1986. Uh, There was a U.S. operative that was working with a photojournalist. And Uh, A long story short, they ended up on a ship that was owned by Chinese rebels. And so they're taking uh, photographs and they're being uh, cautious in an extremely dangerous situations, all of which I obviously can't go too in depth with, with the time that we have, but they realize really quickly that as they're trapped in this boat, as it kind of launches off, that there's no way for them to to seek safety. And so there's this incredible moment where the U S operative looks as it's recorded at what it is that he had. And so he literally says, what is it that that we have here and starts putting things together. And a long story short, he gets seatbelts and uses them as a harness, attaches a pressure washer, a power washer uh, to both of their backs and then using the pressure washer and the, the, the water power uses them as jet packs to go off the back of this Chinese rebels boats and to safety. Uh, this U S operative's name was MacGyver. (laughs) And, uh, (laughs) some of you guys were like riveted though. You're like, what? That's, that's impossible. Isn't it? Well, not with MacGyver. If you don't know who MacGyver is, then congratulations, you're young. Uh, But in either case, uh, the fact is there's uh, incredible moments all throughout this sitcom, Uh, if you know, and I was very young when I was watching the reruns, um, where MacGyver would uh, kind of put together whatever he could with whatever he had. And the question I want to ask you today as we move into the text is this, are you doing what you can with what you have? Are you doing what you can with what you have? Now, a lot of us go into this idea of like we have to MacGyver it. We have to try to put things together and we need to make sure that we try as hard as we can and and conjure things up. And as a rule... The preaching team, typically, when when we get together with the preaching and teaching team, we avoid yes or no questions. So this is the first time we've asked a yes or no question of the text. But in this case, we wanted it to be yes or no, because no matter how you feel tempted to answer the question, the truth is we should all answer this question, no, no. None of us are really actually doing what we can with what we have. Now, bear with me as I explain a little bit further. Um, I'm going to do a little demonstration here. I want everybody to reach up as high as they can. Just go ahead and lift up your hands. Reach up as high as you can. Like, like literally arms straight as high as you can. You don't have to stand. Thank you, though. I appreciate the commitment. Um, stretch out as high as you can. And like so that you could literally, that somebody could say, is this literally as high as you can physically reach? Are you that far right now? Is everybody there? Are you there? All right, ready? Everybody, a little bit more. Just a little bit. Okay, all right. I wish I should have taken a picture of that. All right, you can put your hands down. The reason I should have taken the picture is this. Everybody's stretching, stretching, and some of you guys were too cool for school, but whatever, we get it. God saw you. You kept your arm down. Whatever. That's fine. Priscilla, he'll he'll do with you. I I only did that to call her out because it's basically her dream come true. So in either case, everybody's reaching up as high as they physically can, and then when I said, okay, That's as high as you can. And you're like, "Eh," some of you guys were like really committed. I said, all right, everybody a little bit higher. And I wish I could have had a picture because everybody in unison kind of gave that one more little inch. The reason why I did that illustration is because it proves something. It proves something that we don't really think about often. And maybe we don't even really want to talk about or like, we all went higher because as humans, we keep something in reserve. It's natural. We say, I'm doing everything I can. You're doing everything you can. Yeah. Everything I can. Okay. A little bit more. There's a little more. Okay, so were you really reaching as high as you can? Well, no, clearly not because you want a little higher. We all keep something in reserve because it's about survival. The problem is that mindset spills over into other areas of our lives. And it even impacts how we interact and how we view God. So verses one through two of chapter 14 say this. It was now two days before the Passover, the feast of unleavened bread. And the chief priests and the scribes were seeking how to arrest him, meaning Jesus by stealth and by, and sorry, how to arrest him, Jesus by stealth and kill him for they said, not during the feast, lest there be an uproar from the people. Now, Bear with me for a moment and just let's forget together that Jesus is the Messiah. And maybe you're here today and I realize that there's a wide gamut of people that join us at ever, any given point. So whether you're watching or listening later on, or you're here with us live, as, as, a, as human beings, we are all on a spiritual journey. And so you might be at a place where you're not even convinced that uh, Jesus was the Messiah. And that's okay. Across the board for a moment, let's all just think that Jesus is just a person if we look at it just at face value, these religious leaders, the spiritual authorities of the day and the scribes, they're in order to protect their authority. They're planning to murder a man. They're planning to murder a man. Like I said, just for a second, put aside the fact that he's the Messiah, that he's the son. Of, no, the church leaders of the day are getting together to say, how can we murder this guy? And they're calling it the Lord's work. They're justifying it. It feels spiritual. It feels like they're doing right to eliminate this heretic. Talk about inconsistency. Talk about confusing, right? How's that even possible? How do you get to that place? If we read on to verses three through five, and while he was at Bethany meeting Jesus at the house of Simon, the leper, he was reclining at a table and a woman They scolded her. So, okay, we've got, on one hand, we have these religious leaders and scribes that are that are literally the church leaders of the day being like, hey, I got an idea, Bob. What's your idea? Let's murder that dude. They're like, I like your idea. All right? So we have this destructive concept taking place over here. But then we also have this group of Jesus' closest followers that are gathered together in a home. And a woman comes and, and anoints Jesus. 300 denarii equals about... 300 days wages. So we're talking about almost a year's salary of value. And the disciples are upset Forget this, spiritual reasons. They have spiritual reasons, right? So much so, they're like, listen, you could have helped the poor. How dare you? They're so amped up. They're so worked up about it that they actually power up against this woman and they scold her. They scold her. They try to correct her. And get this, because there's something that applies to us today, We can have good intentions, even spiritual ones, but we may be missing the point. Just like the religious leaders, the scribes, and even the disciples. So what is the point? What is the point? The point is this. Jesus alone should be our priority. Jesus should be our priority. That is the point. That's the thing that we should give our everything to. It's not about money. It's not about popularity, clothing, relationships. And get this, it's not even about ministry. It's not even about amping up and saying, listen, we can feed the poor. Good things for sure, but not ultimate things. Jesus should be our priority because only then can we actually fully enjoy and even understand those other things to the depth of what they actually offer us in this world. If you make a good thing an ultimate thing, then that ultimate thing is an idol, unless that thing is Jesus. Verses six through seven go on and it says, but Jesus said, leave her alone. I love that. I love that he's sticking up for this woman being chastised. Leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a beautiful thing to me for you. Now, some of you, this might mess with your theology. (laughs) Think about this for a second. For you always have the poor with you. And whenever you want, you can do good for them, but you will not always have, sorry, but you will not always have me. Jesus puts some things in perspective. Jesus clarifies in a moment, I'll I'll get to how much more he clarifies that, but he's clarifying and predicting his own death again, which of course the disciples hate this. Every time it happens in the book of Mark, if you're with us, they're like, seriously, Jesus, stop talking about dying. It's just not a good thing for somebody trying to gather followers. And he encourages them to do good, but he states something extremely interesting. I want to reread verse seven for you always have the poor with you. And whenever you want, you can do good for them, but you will not always have me. Poverty will not be ended on this side of eternity. Think about that for a second. Poverty will not be ended on this side of eternity. That's what Jesus is saying. You will always have the poor with you. We live in a fallen world. That doesn't mean that we shouldn't do good. We ought to do good, but we need to understand that the priority is Jesus. Listen, a utopian society is not the goal. It's not the goal. In fact, if you're a student of scripture at all, you realize society actually has to corrode and come apart at the seams before Jesus even returns for his people. The end of the world, it needs some chaos. And I know that we don't want to embrace that. And of course we shouldn't enjoy it and we should always do good and we should always live on mission, but Jesus should be the priority, not trying to create a utopian society. Don't miss this. Jesus didn't step into human time to simply heal the sick and feed the poor. He, he healed the sick and he fed the the poor so that they could hear the, the truth of the gospel that they could hear what it was that he was trying to convey the ultimate and eternal thing, the thing that actually matters beyond this earth, beyond this world. He came to defeat sin and death. And so we need a right perspective. We need to live on mission. Our mission first being to communicate the, the truth of the gospel. And it's the truth of the gospel that allows us to extend mercy and grace to the downtrodden, to the broken, to the poor, to feed and to, to be the hands and feet of Jesus for Sure. Poverty, disunity, troubles in the world, they're symptoms of a much greater problem. The problem is our fallen condition, sin. Sin is the problem. And the gospel is the solution. You see, it's one thing to say, well, the problem is sin. And so then there we go. We can walk away from the table and we don't have to do too much more. But if we acknowledge that the sin is the problem, that we're actively part of the redeeming process then we can start to proclaim the gospel, not only in our words, but in our deeds. And we can live on mission because of the truth and work of Jesus Christ. If we aren't careful, we'll waste our one and only life arguing and fighting over symptoms and actually miss the mission, possibly even miss God. That's what the text is saying. Like the text is talking about a bunch of religious leaders that were so religious that they were trying to murder somebody. And we have a group of disciples that were so caught up in trying to feed the poor that they were missing that Jesus was present with them. Talk about people that were so incredibly confused. The truth was right there within walking distance. And yet they were blind to it. They were missing it. And if we aren't careful, I want to say it again, we'll waste our one and only life. Get that. Our one and only life arguing and fighting over symptoms and miss the mission, possibly even God, possibly even God, you know, one of our overseers, one of our external overseers recently said that there's a, a push in society to gain unity in so many things and that the church should be unified. And although unity is important, he said what they're really communicating is a desire for sameness. And sameness actually brings division, right? Because sameness is saying, listen, we're all gonna believe and agree the same thing and, and I'm right and you're wrong or they think they're right and you're wrong. And so they, they misunderstand the concept of unity and they declare that really what they want is sameness. You see, because unity by definition is to say, we disagree, we are different, but we are unified by the thing we believe in most, the common mission, the goal. You see, unity is a group of people linking arms that would otherwise disagree on less important things and saying, listen, even though we disagree on some things, we'll be unified to accomplish the goal. We see this every Sunday. When we turn on the football team, right? When we turn on whatever football team we, you know, cheer for. And obviously today, everybody's going to be cheering for Miami to beat the Bills. I know that. I know that in my heart, Jesus knows it. I have a microphone. Anyway, so don't hurt me. I have three children. Um, but the point is there's, there's disunity on these teams, Right? people that come from all different walks of lives and in some cases can't even stand each other. And there's documentaries talking about how much the different teams that were some of the greatest in history couldn't stand each other, but they had one thing in common. They wanted to win. And so they unified, but they were far from the same. That's the beauty of the church of Jesus Christ is that we're We're amazingly and and amazingly and incredibly different. And yet we unify about the one thing that matters. And that is the person and work of Jesus, the mission. Verse eight says this, she has done what she could. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for burial. Now, again, like I said, he's talking very clearly about his death. And the disciples are like, oh, you gotta be kidding me. Here we go again. He Says something so incredibly profound. She has done what she could. It doesn't mean that her actions are small. It doesn't mean like, well, you know, she did what she could. It doesn't mean that type of thing. <laughs> no, she did something that was extraordinary. She took nearly everything a year's worth of income in their society. And she prioritized Jesus. She gave him the most valuable thing she had. The most most valuable thing she had, not only nearly a year's salary, but she also laid down her reputation. In that moment she went in and she interacted with a group of men where society did not permit that typically, a highly sexist society. Because she goes in and she interacts with Jesus and she actually comes in physical contact with him. There's some social no-nos that take place and Jesus is saying, she's getting it right. And you guys are missing it. She prioritizes Jesus. She lays everything down, her reputation, her treasure. You know, the formation of the Greek here, in this text, it actually echoes chapter 12, verse 44, where Mark talks about the widow, the widow that came and gave everything she had. Neither the, the widow nor this woman held anything in reserve. They did what they could. How about you? How about you? Are, are you doing what you can with what you have? This is for all of us. I, I want to tell you one more time, the way I started, the answer is not Yes. For every single one of us, the answer is no, we're all in the same place. We're all at a place where we say, well, I mean, we're keeping some in reserve. I mean, I'll I'll give Jesus a little of my time, a little of my treasure, maybe a little bit of my talent, but we need to realize that Jesus is the author of it all. The reason why you have air in your lungs, the reason why you have the ability to be here today, even the sun in our sky, although it is getting intense, (laughs) All of it is an act of grace towards you. The scribes, the disciples, they're caught up in greed and self interest. We see that embodied in the person of Judas at the end of this pericope. Caught up in greed, self interest, and religiosity, and they're missing the gospel literally being lived out right before them. Right before them. Jesus is modeling generosity and self sacrifice. Now, you might be thinking, oh man, seriously, like I came here, I'm at the three year celebration, and they're seriously talking about I have to give the most valuable thing I have in the offering. I've got to give all my stuff over. No, I'm not talking about that. You're missing the point. If that's all you're hearing, then you're holding on too tightly to the possessions that you own. That would be religion. That would be going through the motions. I'm not talking about going through the motions of religion. Get this it's not that complicated. I'm not saying any of that. Now, does it mean that we have to to be stewards of our treasure and our time and our talent and that it makes sense to enter into covenant with God and to lay down the things that he's given us? Of course, of course, those are forms of worship. I'll never argue that. But what I'm saying today is that it's not that complicated. I think we simply need to evaluate what's within walking distance. What's within walking distance? What's the... The easy, low-hanging fruit. What's the baby step? You know, one of the things that I love about the image that that was created for this series is that it's a, a path where you can see a certain distance and then it's kind of unclear. There's a fog there. And I think all too often we're waiting for this crystal clear path that extends all the way to the goal that we want. <laughs> and if we can just get clarity on that, then we'll run towards the goal. But oftentimes what I have found in my short, very young life... <laughs> It's that really we get clarity on just a few steps at a time. And that really often it's just faithfulness with what's within walking distance that God's asking us to do. So I want to ask you, how do you spend your time, your talent and treasure? Evaluate what's within walking distance. What's the obvious thing that the Lord is speaking to you about? There's something, even as, as I'm speaking right now, there, there's something, maybe it means taking the risk to begin to, to be a, a person that stewards their finances and, and to give. Maybe it means being a person that stewards their gifts and saying, I want to start to serve. I want to get in the game. Maybe it means leveraging the way you function your time and something more personal of starting a, a private time with the Lord, even five minutes in prayer a day. Reading one verse a day, something that, that just connects the dots of being within walking distance of what God's asking you to do. We say every week that the text requires something of us. And so here's a question I want to ask us. I want to ask us and encourage us to ask ourselves, how does the gospel inform the decision or decisions I'm currently facing? How does the gospel inform the decision or decisions I'm currently facing? You see, because it's really easy to make decisions based on the way that your neighbor makes decisions, right? It's super easy as a, as a human to, to make decisions based on greed and, and self-preservation, but how does the gospel inform the decisions that you're facing? And, and honestly, I have no idea the decisions that you're facing. I have nothing to gain to have you reflect on the implications of that question. I simply want you to consider what is it that the Lord's asking you to do? For some of us, the decision that we're making is whether or not to surrender our one and only life to him. We've lived for ourselves. And if you're at the place today where you say, listen, I want to surrender my life to Jesus. I want him to be the Lord and leader of my life. It doesn't have to be a a fancy prayer or specific words that are repeated. It's as simple as connecting the dots of the fact that Jesus died a death that you deserve. Ask him to forgive your sins and be the Lord and leader of your life. If that's you today and you want to pray that prayer, I want to encourage you to pray it right now in the quietness that you find yourself in. Whether you're with us in person or if you're watching later on, I just want to encourage you to take that next step. And if you do, we'd love to have a conversation with you about what your next steps could be, whether it's going to our website or emailing us. We'd love to walk alongside you or even a conversation if you're here with us today. For others of us, it means, as I've already alluded to, this idea of serving. Of of asking others what it looks like to to maybe take a risk. What what has God done when you when you took a risk to, to live according to what it is that He's called you to do? Maybe it means evaluating what monopolizes your time. The conversations that you have, the social media that that you pour over time and time again. What how does the gospel inform that? Evaluate those things. Maybe it means looking at the mission. Are you living on mission? Are you so wrapped up in the worries and the concerns of this world that that you've missed the one thing that matters? Let's bow our heads and close our eyes, if we would, as we just kind of agree in in prayer together. And we're gonna, as we agree in prayer, the team's gonna make their way back up and we're gonna worship the Lord together. And uh, as we do, uh, I want you just to, to reflect on the idea of how the gospel informs the decisions you're facing. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you today. We're grateful that we can be in this place, that we can celebrate, that we can truly celebrate the last three years and the next 300. Lord, that you have been so faithful. You've been faithful to us as individuals. You've been faithful to Centerway, as a group of people just deciding to do life together. And Lord, I pray that you would take what we have and you would leverage it for your glory. Lord, I'm sure this, this woman looked at this, this valuable thing and thought, what could I possibly do with this? There's so many of us that, that look at our lives and evaluate what do we have to offer. And yet all the while, you're just asking us to do what's within walking distance, to just evaluate what you're asking us to do and to take the next step. And so today we declare ourselves available. We worship you and praise you for who you are, what you have done and what you will do. Let's worship together.
2: Hey, Centerway Church. We are really excited to share some news with you.
1: Yeah, we are. For those of you that don't know, we launched Centerway Church in September of 2018, and it was about a year and a half later that COVID hit. And when it did, the meeting place that we had, that we were renting from, was suddenly closed off to outside rental, and we found ourselves building list for the next 80 weeks.
2: The good news for us is that the church is not a building, and you've heard us say that many times. The church is people together on mission. And so we were still able to grow as individuals and as a church family during that online season. But seasons change. And so now we find ourselves in a season where we're able to rent again, which we're very excited about. But to be clear, this does not change our focus to be the church on mission outside of the church walls seven days a week. We very much view this as an additional opportunity to share the gospel with those around us.
1: Yep, absolutely. And of course, we will still maintain our online presence for those of you that are unable or uncomfortable to gather in person. And also for those of you that have (laughs) begun gathering with us on Sundays from other states or even other countries, which is still... (laughs) unbelievable to me. Uh, But I want to let you know that for those that are able to gather in person on September 26th, we will begin meeting in person uh, gatherings on Sundays at 3 p.m. right here, actually, at Willowbrook Christian Church. They have graciously uh, opened their doors to us and they have such a kingdom mindset and we're deeply appreciative.
2: Yeah. So we know that 3 p.m. is sort of a non-traditional church time, but we are very excited about the opportunities it's going to afford us as a church and within our community. And ultimately, we're just really grateful uh, to be in the same room gathering together. And we're going to do this at least through the end of the year and then reevaluate. We also want to point out that if you have been looking for a way to serve, this in-person gatherings weekly will allow for new opportunities. And so if you're looking for a new way to serve or maybe uh, a way to serve for the very first time, we would love that. Just visit our website, the Next Steps page, and you can sign up right there.
1: Yep. So we will see you, hopefully, (laughs) if you're able to gather with us right here on September 26th at 3 p.m. We cannot wait. Can't
2: wait. See you then.